Well, good morning, Oakwood. It is so good to be back with you guys. I mean, really good. After a two-week quarantine, uh, it is really good to be here. I'm officially a survivor, okay? I'm a statistic now. I have survived COVID-19. Never thought I'd get to say that, but um, let me just tell you real quickly about my experience with this. I know some people have said, ah, I didn't even know I was sick, uh, had a little sniffle or something. Okay, on a scale from zero to ten, zero mean you didn't even know you had it, ten, you're on your deathbed. I was about a seven. I had all the symptoms, headache, body ache, fatigue, no smell, no taste, I still can't smell or taste, but thank you guys that, that brought food. I imagined what it tasted like, okay? And so it's weird how your mind kind of tricks you like, like that. Shortness of breath, uh, extreme fatigue, dizziness, and one of the things that got me the most was just kind of a, I would call it a brain fog, just kind of a, you know, wandering around in a stupor like you don't even know what you're, you're what you're doing or what you're uh, trying to accomplish. And I know you, some of you are thinking, well, Alan, you're always like that, you know, but it was worse than normal, okay? And in fact, I, when I knew I was going to be preaching this week, I didn't think I, I had anything to say. I told Leah, I said, I don't even think I, I know how to do this anymore. And I don't even think I can articulate. And so I, I sit down and I try to write an outline out last Sunday afternoon and it made no sense to me on Monday or Tuesday. And I thought, what was I even thinking here? And so I, I scratched it. I mean, I'm not even doing anything with it. Well, most of us have been anxious to put the year 2020 in the rearview mirror. The Solomon Foundation, that's who handles our retirement for our ministers here at Oakwood, sent us a little ornament to hang on our trees this year. It said, 2020, the year we all stayed home. Well, we're in the year 2021 now. But I think the year of 2020 will, I think we can remember it as the year of the coronavirus. And, and really here in Oklahoma, we were at ground zero to where the world began to stop. Do you remember back in March, it was a Wednesday night, when Oklahoma City was getting ready to play the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert tested positive and they canceled the basketball game. In fact, that was the last NBA ball game that was played for many, many, many months. And from that point on, the dominoes began to fall. And we were at ground zero right here in Oklahoma. And they told us, you know, if you'll stop going to church, stop going to sporting events, to movies, to concert, things like that, we can stop this virus. Didn't stop, did it? And then they told us, you might remember this, hey, let's lock down for two weeks. If we all stay home for two weeks, we can stop this thing right now. We can stop it in its tracks. Well, they took 12 weeks. In some states, they are still locked down. New York, California, different places, they are still not able to have a church like this here in person. Then they told us that as soon as it gets hot, the heat will kill the virus. You remember that one? 
And so we waited anxiously for the 100-degree heat that Oklahoma is so famous for. And we knew that as soon as it got hot, we would kill the virus. Well, the 100-degree heat came and gone, and guess what? This virus survived. Then they told us to wear a mask. You remember, you know, hey, this will stop the spread of this thing. We just wear a mask, and then we're going to mandate the use of this mask, and that'll stop it. Well, it's still going. And then they said, um, well, just wait till the election's over, November 3rd. Well, we are two months past the election. The election's already come and gone, but guess what? The virus is still with us. But well, hold on, hold on. We've got a vaccine coming. Just wait for the vaccine, and then it'll all go away. Well, now we're being told... Well, this vaccine may not be effective against this new strain that's coming. Well, 2020 has been a year like no other, hasn't it? Um, we've had a lot of challenges, and I just want to say to you right now that I am so proud of our staff because we have faced incredible challenges this year, and we faced them all. And we have actually thrived through, through that. And we were better because of that. In a matter of days in March, and when, just when we hired Rusty, in fact, you hadn't even got to meet Rusty yet, that's when we shut down. And we had to figure out in a matter of days how to do what we do here online and to make it relevant. And it happened. And so we as a staff had to try to figure out how to interact with you guys at home because we couldn't get together in, in person and how to stay in contact with our flock and did a great job with it. And we were just figuring this out and how to go online and really make our online service relevant. And then we had a lightning strike that hit our steeple that fried out most of our electronic equipment. Some of you guys may be not even aware of that. But they handled that challenge uh, remarkably. And then we've also had to go to church camp and to CIY to do our own thing, to, to kind of pivot and do things virtually. And then our vacation Bible school, our big event that we do every year for our children's ministry, we had to pivot and learn how to, to take it when we literally have kids everywhere and they're just all bunched up together, how to spread them out and how to do that safely and I'm just really proud of these guys. It's a testament to a great staff. And then uh, we had this great ice storm in October that happened before all the leaves fell and branches and power and everything. And I saw our church family jump in and help each other, go to neighbors and clean brush and tree limbs. Many of our church family lost electricity and lost a uh, food out of the refrigerators and freezers. And I saw you guys chip in and, and, and help each other out and replenish food supplies and stuff. And it was absolutely moving. One of the big events that we had planned was the light the night on Halloween night. And we had to pivot and move that outside and learn how to do this safely. And it was one of the best events that we've ever had. So while many people feel that 2020 was the worst, I believe that history books will record that this was a year of great accomplishment when people worked together like they've never worked together before. We saw a vaccine happen in record time. 
Now, how effective it is or what, I don't know, but it happened in record time. We saw hospitals literally built overnight. We saw companies that made uh, computers and cars and things like that decide, hey, we're going to make ventilators. We, we have got so many ventilators, we can supply the whole world with ventilators. But that was an attestament to what happened. But I saw in 2020 mankind working together, neighbor helping neighbor, stranger helping stranger. 2020 has taught us some great things. Before 2020, I had never heard the word Zoom, okay? Now I'm an expert at it. Every Wednesday night, I not only teach my class in person, but I'm on Zoom as well. So if you want to join with me, you know, let me know. I can send you a link, and you can join with us in the Bible with Cybel on Zoom. 2020 has taught us to expect the unexpected, because you never know what's going to happen next. 2020 taught us what was really important, our family, our health, to touch people what it's like to give a hug, or to see a smile that's in behind a face mask somewhere. 2020 gave us a time to reset, a time to slow down. 2020 taught us how important it is to be able to go to church and experience some of the freedoms that we have. 2020 taught us uh, how privileged we are to be able to go to the store and actually buy a roll of toilet paper, right? Amen to that. 2020 also taught us what we could live without. We could live without going to movies and Hollywood, to sporting events and concerts and the superstars. It taught us to value our relationships and to not take anything for granted. 2020 taught us that everything is temporary and it can be gone that fast. 2020 taught us that everyone has their own struggles and to get off of this rat race wheel that we call the rat race of life and to slow down. Taught us to enjoy the simple pleasures. 2020 taught us that we're all vulnerable and that if you think you're bulletproof, you are not. 2020 taught us to stop or you will be stopped. You will get stopped. 2020 taught us to not to be afraid to ask for help and to be open to receiving help. Most importantly, I think that 2020 taught us that we are not in control. God is. Amen? So that brings us to the new year. First Sunday of the new year, and I know a lot of people make resolutions or goals or these are the things I want to accomplish going forward. And I thought about this, you know, after I made this outline that, um, you know, ended up to be something, you know, that I couldn't even decipher. I decided, let me go back and, and look and see about an old message that I preached on New Year's Day. And so I went back. Do you remember when we faced uh, Y2K? I went back and I thought, maybe there's some stuff I can pull out of that. And I pulled that sermon out of the file. And right across the top of that, file, or that sermon was the words, dud. And I had it underlined. I thought, well, that's not a very good sermon then if I gave that a dud. So I stuffed it back in there and I, I said, Leah, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know if I can put together a message right now. My mind's just so 
frazzled out and she said, well, what would you say if this is going to be the last Sunday that we got together? That they said, churches are shut down, you can't do any online stuff anymore. That this is the last time that we could worship together in person. I said, well, that'd, that'd be easy. I talk about being ready and making sure those around us are ready. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for a few moments, is having a heart for the lost. I think that ought to be a priority to every single one of us, is that we make lost people a priority. I love to fly uh, commercial airlines, and I think one of the my favorite parts is the acceleration. You know, I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie, and I like the feel of the acceleration of that plane when it takes off. But right before it takes off, uh, there's always something that happens. The flight attendants go through this little routine. You know, they take one of those little belt buckle things, and they, they get your attention, and they explain how to put a seatbelt together, and then tighten it up, you know, and they make sure that you're all snugged in there. And then they explain the air mask thing, you know, they have it dangle, and they say, you know, put it over your face, tighten these straps up. Now, that bag may not inflate, but air will still be coming through, so don't worry about this. And regardless of what Jesus says, helping other people first, we want you to put your mask on yourself first, okay? And then you can help, help other people. Oh, and this seat that you're on, if we would crash over the ocean, that is now a flotation device. So grab that out. Here's how you do it. You, you know, and there's exits, you know, some at the front, some at the back, you know, the side. So just take a moment, explain to you where these things are. And there's a little card in the little pouch in front of you that tells you that all the safety precautions of the airplane. And they go through this whole, whole spiel, but the problem is nobody pays any attention, do they? They're on their phone, they're talking, they're putting their stuff away. They just completely ignore it. Why? Well, I think there are two reasons. One, if we really believed that that plane was going to crash, we wouldn't be on it, would we? And the second thing is that we've heard it all before. And so we think it's irrelevant to us. I know what they're going to say. I, I've heard it all before. Now let me tell you, if I really believed that plane was going to crash, I would be listening intently to everything they say. Now would you explain that again? I want to make sure I know how to get this seat out in case I need it to be a cushion. I would want to make sure. Would you explain to me how these doors work again? If I really believed that plane was going to crash, I would make sure that I paid to the details of, of that entire announcement. But we've heard it before. It's the same message over and over again. And I think the true, it's, it's also true about us trying to reach out for lost people. People have this idea, well, I've heard that message before, and so it's irrelevant. And so they just pretty much ignore the message. Well, in Luke chapter 15, there are three familiar stories that Jesus gives us concerning lost people. He tells us the story about the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. So if you have your Bibles, turn to me, with me to Luke chapter 15, and 
we're, really, honestly, we can make a sermon out of each one of these stories, but I'm going to kind of hit the high points of all three of them and make a, a few observations real quickly on these. So let's begin reading with chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then he told Jesus... Then Jesus told them this parable. You see, the religious establishment did not like Jesus because he was always spending time with the wrong people. The outcasts, the sinners, the heathens, the pagans. They were upset because he wasn't spending more time with them. But Jesus showed us who was really important. And he saw how upset that they were, and so he said... Let me tell you a story. So he began to tell them the story. And the first story he told was about a sheep. Verse 4, he said, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he, then he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I tell you, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let me uh, give you some observations real quick about each of these three stories. The first one is that Jesus initiates reaching the lost. You see, this one lost sheep was important to him. And it's important for us to understand that Jesus initiated going to find this sheep. He didn't expect the sheep to come find the shepherd. Jesus tells us in the Great Commission that it is our responsibility to go out past these comfortable seats out through these doors, and we're to go find the lost sheep of this world. It's our responsibility. In fact, it was so important, that was the last message that he gave to us before he ascended back to heaven. He said, I want you to go out and make disciples. I want you to go seek and save the lost sheep. I want you to go find them. So it's our responsibility. That's the Great Commission. And so if we're going to have a heart for lost people, we have to be willing to go and to find them. Don't expect them just to walk in the door and say, you know, that's really a pretty church. They've got really good music and good preaching and they've got good activities and a lot of events going on. I think I want to come in here and find Jesus. Jesus said our responsibility is to go out there and to find them and to bring them here. They did a survey of drowning people. Actually, it wasn't the, the drowning people that they surveyed, okay, because they, they really couldn't participate after they drowned in a survey. But they gave a survey of the people around the drowning people, and they asked them this question, why didn't you save them? Why didn't you rescue them? The number one answer was, we didn't realize they were in trouble. We didn't realize they were drowning. We saw them splashing and playing, and we just thought that they were having fun. We didn't realize they were in trouble. And unfortunately, I think the church has that same attitude about the lost people. We don't realize that the lost people are splashing around 
They're not able to holler out, I'm lost, help me, save me. And so we ignore all the warning signs of their splashing and their desperate attempts to get our attention. And sometimes we just don't realize how desperate the situation is. And Jesus tells us we have to go and initiate reaching and finding the lost people. Second thing I want you to see here is that lost people are a priority to Jesus. Now he had 99 sheep that they were fine, they were okay. And he left the 99 where they were safe and he went and found the one that was lost. This is where at church sometimes we get mixed up because we think that church is all about us. I want to come and hear songs that I like. I want to hear messages that I like. I want them to have classes that make me feel good. I want to have activities and events that make me feel good. It isn't about us, guys. Most of you that are here today probably know Jesus and are saved. We know you're going to be in heaven. Our concern ought to be for the lost people that are going to hell without Christ. And we get too concerned about what we want and what makes us comfortable rather than the lost person that may not darken the door of this church. Third observation here is there a celebration when this lost sheep is found. Have you ever lost something that's important to you and then you found it? Maybe it was a wedding ring or car keys or checkbook. Maybe it was a lost uh, child or a lost pet. Years ago when I lived in Watonga, where I was a youth minister, uh, and it's a small town so everybody kind of knows everybody, I had a bird dog that, boy, he, he was my pride and joy. I had raised him from a pup. I actually had his mom, his name was Chief, Brittany Spaniel, loved this dog. Came home one late Saturday night, and Chief was out of his pen. The gate was open, and the clasp that holds it was gone. So I knew someone had let him out, stolen him, take, let him loose or whatever. We drove around to the wee hours of the morning. I was devastated. Drove down every street in Watonga, back and forth. Could not find this dog anywhere. It was a short night. I was just distraught. The next morning, Sunday morning, and we... At our church, Watonga Christian Church, we hosted a radio program on Sunday morning. So I called the radio station. I said, hey, can you send a a public announcement? My dog is gone. Okay? You can only do that in a small town, right? My dog is gone. His name is Chief. He's got an orange collar on. He's a Brittany Spaniel. Gave all his trick. No calls. Went to church. I'm just bummed out. After church, Chief still hadn't made it back. As a family, we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken, and there was a guy that he worked out at the sewer treatment plant, and he said, hey, did you find your dog yet? I'm like, no, he, he hadn't, we haven't found him yet. He goes, I saw a dog that looks like that out by the sewer plant. I left my family where they were, okay? They were like the 99. I left them in at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and out the door I went. Went out that way, several miles outside of town, and guess what? Here I found my dog. Now, he had been a little roughed up. His collar was busted off of him. His feet were kind of rubbed raw. It looked like he'd been rolling around in, I don't know, maybe a cattle feedlot or something. I don't know. But I didn't care that I was in Leah's car. And I didn't care that I was dressed on Sunday morning. But I got him back in the car. And I drove back to the Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
They didn't take a picture, but they said I had a pretty big smile on my face that day because my dog that had been lost, that meant so much to me, was found. And there was a lot of celebration that day. We were really, really happy. I love our baptisms here at Oakwood. When someone accepts Christ and is baptized right here, there's a lot of cheering and celebration, and there's a lot of joy that happens. Way different than when I was baptized. When I was baptized, everybody quietly, reverently sang this song, Now I belong to Jesus. Do you guys remember this? And there was no celebration. Let me tell you, we celebrate here. And not only here, but in heaven there's a celebration when a lost is found. Let's look at the lost coin, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, observations that I want to make here is that Jesus cares about quantity. Sometimes the church gets a bad reputation. Well, all you're concerned about is numbers. Numbers were important to Jesus. He had 99 sheep, but there was still one that was lost. This lady had nine or ten coins, nine she had that she knew where they were. One was lost. So that tells us how important it was to Jesus for one lost soul. I've been told that when we get to heaven, Jesus might just ask us, did you come alone? Well, well, yeah, I made it, Jesus. Why would you come alone? Why would you not bring somebody with you? You see, Jesus had an incredible heart for the lost. Second thing we see here is that this lady kept looking persistently, which tells us that we're to look persistently. Now, I don't know if she found it in the first hour, the first day, but she didn't quit until she found it. Yesterday, back in our bedroom, I, I had my sermon notes together, and I had them paper clipped with this little red paper clip. And I, I was putting things, you know, kind of putting it away, and this thing popped off, and it was gone. Back in our bedroom, and and. I, I got down on my hands and knees, and I began to, to search for a lost paper clip. Couldn't find it. So I got out some really bright lights, and I began to look around. Couldn't find the thing. Even got Leo involved. I said, help me find this paper clip. She goes, it's just a paper clip. I said, yeah, but it's my paper clip. And it's a red one. It was a special one. And I even did something extraordinary. I went and got the vacuum. I thought, okay, I'm going to find this thing. She goes, we'll find it sooner or later. I said, yeah, but I don't want to step on it. And that was my vacuum. I mean, that was my paper clip. Never did find it till yesterday afternoon. Reached in my pocket to get my keys. And here was my red paper clip. I was really happy, okay? If Alan Seibel can get that happy about a red paper clip, think how happy Jesus gets when one lost soul is found. If you study the healings of Jesus, 
In 34 of the 40 healings that Jesus did, those people that needed healed didn't come and find Jesus on their own. Either Jesus went and found them or somebody brought them to Jesus to get healed. Statistics tell us that 80% of the people that find Christ, that get saved, do so not because of great preaching, not because of wonderful music, not because of a beautiful building and and sports outreach programs and and great Sunday school teachers. They do so because of a relationship with one person. That one person cared enough to bring that person to Christ. That's our command. That's not something we have to pray about, Lord, am I supposed to do... Yes, you're supposed to do that. And again, we see here that tremendous celebration when one coin is found. Eight years ago, I had a a phone. It was an AT&T phone, and it had this little bitty SD card thing in it. You might know what I'm talking about, that it would store your pictures, your phone numbers, and all that stuff. Something happened to that SD card, and it got corrupted. It, it, all my pictures were gone. They were important pictures. It was a, pictures of the last Christmas that I had with my mom and our family all together. Last pictures I had with my dad. And, and they were gone. They were priceless. I did everything I could. You know, I didn't know about backing this stuff up on a cloud or something like that. You know, I just knew that I took these pictures and they stored them on that little card. And I was devastated. I tried everything until my friend Alan Klepper said, you know, Brandon works for AT&T. Maybe he can get those pictures back for you. I'm like, we've tried everything. Brandon came over, took that little SD card out, and he brought a little computer, and he had some little thing, gizmo. He plugged it in there and started doing this. And Are these your pictures you're looking for? Yeah, those are the pictures. Okay, let's make a backup of those real quick. And so he made a backup, and he goes, let's back these things up on the cloud. I said, the what? The cloud. I said, where are they going? He goes, you know, the cloud. We had tried everything, but persistence paid off. And let me tell you, there was great celebration that day because these irreplaceable pictures were saved. Real quickly, I want to move to the lost son. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, so he went and, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill the stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will sit out and go back to my father and say to him, Father... I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. A couple of quick lessons here. We see that God is patient. God is willing to wait. He's willing to allow us to decide to return home. This son made a conscious decision to leave the sweet fellowship that he had with his family and his father, that precious relationship, and to run away and rebel. To go against everything that he had been taught, against everything that his family stood for, all the principles and morals that he had, and to just go off and just throw it all away. And the father had to let him do that. So we see that God's love is patient. He's willing to allow us to decide to return home. Now I'm going to admit, I'm not a patient person sometimes. Most of the time, I'm not very patient, but I'm so glad that God is. Second thing is, while God is patient, he's waiting expectantly. You see, every day that father was was watching. He was praying. He was hoping. I bet the majority of his day was spent looking from the front porch down the road, hoping that he would catch a glimpse of that son beginning to come home. And every morning when he would get up, I bet he would say, I, I hope this is the day. I'm praying that this is the day that he comes home. Friends, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you've got a loved one that, that has gone astray. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a child or a grandchild. Maybe... It's a brother or sister that has gone astray and has ran away from the sweet fellowship of the Lord. And you're praying and you're hoping. And every day you wake up and say, I hope this is the day that they return back to the Lord. And when that father saw that son a long way off, he jumped up and he ran and he hugged him. Now, remember, he'd been out with the pigs. I don't know what he smelled like, but it probably wasn't very good, but it didn't matter. He hugged him, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him, and he brought a robe, and they began to celebrate. But you see, here's what I find interesting in all three of these stories. The only one that Jesus didn't go after was the third one. That was the only one that really knew they were lost. The sheep didn't know they were lost. You know, they're kind of dumb. He just wandered off. He just looked up and he was gone. The coin certainly didn't know it was lost. It just disappeared. But the son made a conscious decision to become lost, to run away, to rebel. And that's the only one that Jesus didn't run after. The hardest person to see return to Christ is somebody that has been in church and enjoyed the sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The sweet fellowship that we have with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And then to see that person walk away from the Lord, 
That's the hardest person to get to return to Christ. It's way easier to find that lost person that doesn't even know they're lost than it is to get that person who knows they are lost and they don't care. They made a decision to run away. It's hard to get them to return. But Jesus patiently waits for them to return. And when they do, there is great celebration. Friends, I want to tell you, we need to be passionate about reaching the lost because I don't know that we're promised that we'll get to be open next Sunday. I don't know about next month. I don't know what the rest of this year brings, but I know that we've got today in this moment. And Jesus said, we need to be passionate about reaching the lost. And so we shouldn't be living our lives with not just the expectancy that Jesus could come any day, because we know that. But we ought to be expecting that he's going to return. Do you think that father that was waiting for that lost son decided to go on a lot of vacations and maybe he'll come back and I'll find him home? I bet he didn't go anywhere. He patiently waited, looking, praying and hoping for that son to return home. Friends, our time might be short. If you're getting ready to get on an airplane that is doomed to crash, I hope you pay attention to the safety briefing. And you know every detail what it takes to get off that plane and keep yourself safe. Friends, there's a world out here that's lost and drowning and splashing and they can't scream out, I need help, I need you to save me. We better be attention to what's happening around us and realize they're lost. And we better be reaching out to them. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for reminding us today what's really important. Having a heart for the lost. Lord, we live in a, a world that there's lost all around us. And for the most part, they don't even realize they're lost. They're just going about their life and careless. They've heard these messages, these warnings before. But Lord, I pray we become passionate. And we make this a priority, especially in this new year. Not to just make ourselves comfortable, but to make the lost a priority. In Jesus' name. I was talking to Scott Morris backstage before the first service and he's one of our elders and he was telling me that this year he doesn't want to just invite people to church and kind of let the church take the responsibility of discipling in them and, and teaching them and having the fellowship and well, you come to church and they're going to take care of you he said no I want to have these people into my home and have them sit at my table. And I want to take the responsibility of teaching them, like Jesus said, the Great Commission. We get to sit at the table of the Lord every single week. To have that great fellowship with Jesus. It's called our communion. 
And those of you that are watching online, we invite you to take this time to, to make your preparations for communion. And hopefully you got one of the little communion packets uh, when you came in. If, if you didn't, just hop up and go grab one off the table at the back. And this is going to be our time to have that fellowship with Jesus where we get to sit down at his table and to thank him for what he did for us. He died on the cross so that we can have the forgiveness of sin, that we can have the promise of, of heaven. Because we were lost, now we're found. We were lost, now we're saved. Pray with me. Lord, as we take these moments to remember what you've done for us on the cross, I thank you for the sacrifice that cost us your very life. Your precious blood that um, was spilled out. Lord, as we have this fellowship with you, Lord, there may be some that have rebelled and run away from you, Lord, that they are maybe far from you today. Lord, you desperately want them to come back to that relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those that are not in a, a life-saving relationship with you, that haven't yet claimed you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray this is the day of salvation, that 2021 is the year of salvation for them. In Jesus' name.